Hi, I'm DM Liz from the Save for Half podcast. Welcome to the Crusader Podcast, a show about the Castles and Crusades role-playing game. Alia Ayakta Est, the die is cast. Welcome, Crusaders, to the 13th episode of the Crusader Podcast. This one was a hard one. We've had quite a few technical difficulties jump up. So forgive us for our tardiness, but we're coming to you tonight to talk to you about converting other games to Castles and Crusades. So how's everybody doing tonight? Ah, hanging in there. Yep. Twirling towards the future. (laughs) You guys all sound so excited and so pumped. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just got home from work and (laughs) that does make it hard, but... (laughs) And I just took drugs, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird, and I, I, just for full um, disclosure for our listeners, uh, we have kind of a sophomore slump thing going on because we had a whole episode recorded, <laughs> and um, there's audio issues, uh, and I was warned about the audio issues during the recording, and I said, "No, those are fine." And they were not fine. <laughs> so I should have listened to Jesse, but I didn't. I just barreled forward mistakenly. And so we lost an episode, but we're going to uh, cover the subject again tonight. And it will be even better. Yeah, we've rehearsed. <laughs> I have all my lines memorized. <laughs> so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Was it. A script? What? Yeah, you didn't, Mike. Wait, there was a script? Yeah, you didn't read your script? <laughs> didn't get a script. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I, I have heard people accuse of uh, certain podcasts of being scripted, and what an immense workload that would be. How much oh, more impressive uh. would Critical Role actually be if they were scripted, like in memorizing lines? That'd be pretty impressive, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's like a whole other group of workers <laughs> that would have to be involved. Anyway, that's just a little rant on the side. <laughs> okay. Scripted. Well, I guess I should <laughs> I should not have put all that time into anyway. the script. I put it on I put hours into it. I mailed it out to you guys and nobody read it. So tonight we're talking about converting other games to Castles and Crusades. CNC, as you guys know, is they call themselves the Rosetta Stone of role-playing games, and that's one of my main selling features for CNC is I can use all my additional uh, books that I've collected over the years, like all gamers do. So I think we'll jump right into it. Um, have you guys converted things from other games to CNC before? I can't say that I have because normally I've been a player. <laughs> what about your Boot Hill Call of Cthulhu game? Yeah, that's only in your mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've converted some 1E and some classic basic expert Holmes stuff to it. I have not converted 2E or beyond. How about you, Carl? Um. The only thing that I can recall doing in uh, Castles and Crusades that came from a different system. Well, actually, there's two things. Now I think about it. I actually did a um, very, very uh, truncated Xenopus Tower in Castles and Crusades. And I did the solo dungeon from the uh, Dungeons and Dragons Red Box uh, from 1983. 
as a uh, Castles and Crusades uh, and was like one of the very uh, first times I had played the system and I was introducing it to some friends of mine and we uh, just uh, kind of went through that. And I, I still have like very vivid memories of that game just because role playing games are like that. But uh, I, I don't know that. And, and this this is kind of weirdly um, uh, a compliment. I don't know that converting to CNC feels very different because CNC is almost so universal. It feels just like quintessential Dungeons and Dragons fantasy role playing game. It feels so like the core of what fantasy role playing is that when you convert to it and all this other stuff falls away, essentially is what happens. Um, it feels like you're just kind of playing the game you've converted from because CNC is so malleable. Yeah, it really does. Coming from a player's standpoint, um, when we were first part of the playtesting, um, Mike would use his 1E books, the Monster Manual, etc. You know, when he was running CNC sessions for our playtest sessions, and it felt, it really felt like we were playing 1E or 2E. Um, so. It was great. <laughs> it was one of the things that really sold us on the game before it even, you know, made it into print version. It's like, this is going to be something cool. You know, I think that's probably going to be the answer to anybody who plays it is it's going to feel a little bit like the right. game that they're most used to playing. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who try it out and go, oh, this feels just like 5e. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, you mean the Castles and Crusades <laughs> retro clone? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite Castles and Crusades retro clone. Oh, uh, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to me, it feels a lot like uh, playing BX, except that it's, you know, a little bit more robust. Um, uh, actually, quite a bit more robust. Um, and it's actually, um, but that doesn't make it hard to convert to. I and, mean, you know, having that stuff present, having pretty much any class you've ever seen and a few extra um and uh, uh well not really extra i guess i guess the knights really is the cavalier essentially um but uh that's not totally different well it's less game breaky anyway <laughs> no i love the knight class my daughter plays a knight in castles and crusades okay. named cool. knight she plays a well, knight named knight yeah dame knight <laughs> Her horse is named Day. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Dame Knight on her day. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. Uh, although I do remember when CNC first came out, the the one E guys complained that it was too much like classic D and D, and the classic guys complained it was too much like a D and D one E. So. My opinion, that means yeah. it got it pretty much right. Yeah, it's interesting because it is it is so much a um amalgamation of fantasy role playing for the twenty five years prior to its existence. Mm. Thirty thirty ish years prior to its existence, I should say. Something like that. Um, yeah. Uh because there is there's some O D and D in there, there's some basic expert red box D and D in there. There's a lot of a D and D in there. And I, I think that's probably where it lands closest to. It's probably pretty easy to convert 
anything uh, AD&D first edition to C&C without much hiccups, but it's pretty easy, easy to convert anything to it. Well, when the playtesting was going on and Steve and some other people asked, you know, well, what's your stand on ascending or descending armor class? My comment was always, look, as long as I can set subtract it from 20 and get my AD&D, you know, armor class, I'm cool. And that's how it should be for the gear. You know, you subtract it from 20 and that's your 1E armor class. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, classic goes to nine instead of 10, but that only happens around leather armor. So that's not a huge deal. And as I've said on Dragon's Foot, all the monsters in the monster manual don't have lower than armor class nine anyway. So, so what? And you can use that with AD and D one E. So what's the difference? Yeah. Too many, too many fans of, of I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but too many pan, fans of OOP D and D sometimes can't see the forest for the trees <laughs> and they concentrate on what the differences are rather than the similarities. <laughs> As a guy that used to do that, I can say. <laughs> so. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, look at some of my posts on Dragon's Foot from the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, I was never like, I was at least third, you know, third to fifth, I think. Yeah, I mean, I never got name level. I didn't. I'm like. Didn't. Didn't quite reach old man shouts at clouds level. <laughs> not, not in that, not in D and D. No. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 I guess it was, it was easier to do back then when we were the embattled resist, you know, rebellion against the <laughs> evil empire that was not only wizards of the coast, but all their fans. But I mean, to, to Steve and them, you know, one of the goals of castles and crusades was always, if you want to play the game, that's great. Here it is in print. But if you don't want to play the game, you can still use the stuff coming out for it in mm -hmm. your XD&D game with very little conversion required. And I think it succeeded there. Yeah, that is definitely something worth mentioning is it's not only easy to convert to Castles and Crusades, it's easy to convert from Castles and Crusades and take stuff that uh, the trolls have put out and use them in your 5th edition or BX or AD&D 1E or whatever fantasy role-playing game you're currently playing. Uh, it translates, you know, without any really any issue at all. And you could pretty much bet most of those A modules were originally played in AD&D 1E. Right, yeah. <laughs> I There's know Shadows of the Halfling that. Hall was originally uh, either 1E or Classic. I can't remember anymore, but it was one of those. Mm -hmm. In fact, there was an adventure in uh, an early White Dwarf magazine. The actual number escapes me, but J.B. Littlefield converted a module from old one, one day or one sitting adventure called Beacon at Enon Tor. And it converted very easily. Um, and it's one of my favorite. If I want to show off CNC at a convention, that's usually what I end up running. Because it was such an early white dwarf, nobody's read it. Or hardly anybody are going to run into it at con, except maybe at North Texas. <laughs> that's but now that you've mentioned it on this podcast, everybody's mm -hmm. going to know about it. 
because everyone, of course, is listening. So yeah, that, that's true. You're right. I, 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 I feel I am a humble cur. <laughs> the internet told me that it was Imagine issue number one. That that Imagine. Originally... Okay. Well, they even less people read Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> my door, so it's Ow. even safer. Ow. <laughs> Hey, I liked Imagine Magazine, at least the ones I've read, but, you know, it did end up going out of business, so, you know. Uh, this is so funny, because it's, it's it happened in the last recording, but the my source on the internet is you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> it's your post on Dragon's Foot about this conversion. In <laughs> what, what, what year was that? Uh, that was 2006. So 13 years ago, <laughs> I reached into the past and uh, <laughs> asked, Mike from asked the past. Mike. <laughs> I am Mike from the future. Quick, tell me what issue of Imagine it was. <laughs> really? You're contacting me from the future to ask me that? Yeah. So what? Number four? <laughs> anyway. uh, oh, well. So on my end, I've converted quite a few things to CNC. I've done like you guys have, uh, first edition and basic. I've also done a lot of third edition conversions. I've played a lot of 3E when it came out and for years after that. So there's a few modules and things that I really like from third edition that I've transferred over to CNC. And honestly, it, it's not difficult at all. I've had a little bit of luck doing fifth edition also. Um, I've ran a couple adventures written for fifth edition for CNC and also a little bit harder than converting to other editions, but not impossible and nothing that I had to spend any forethought on at all. It was all by the fly, which is how I do most of my conversions when I'm running the game. Yeah. I've noticed in 5e, sometimes your stats can run insanely high, which I would think would be kind of, one of the things you'd really have to watch out for when converting to CNC, you know, here's a fighter. His strength is like 30. It's like, okay, that's going to, we're going to dial that back a little. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I kind of, when I'm converting from fifth edition, uh, first off, whenever I convert from any edition, if there's a monster that I'm using, I'm going to use the CNC version of that if it's available. So if it's a fifth edition goblin, I'm just going to use the CNC goblin entry for that goblin. Mm-hmm. I don't go through like any number crunching or anything like that. If it's say like a unique monster or a boss monster, something like that, then I will eyeball it. You know, if, if it's the goblin mm-hmm. chieftain and he's got X number of hit points higher than his regular goblins in fifth edition, I'm going to kind of see what that ratio is. And I'm going to adjust that down to what CNC would be. So if he's got double what the fifth edition goblin has, I'm I'm going to give him double what the CNC version has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Necromancer Games put out their third edition version of Wilderlands box set, um, I got that. One of the things I liked about it is it didn't really give stat blocks. It just said like Polar Bear one fifty five hit points. Now, 55 hit points is pretty high for a polar bear, but I liked that. And there were some other companies that did things like that, that, you know, as 
Jesse was saying, if the hit points are too high, either adjust it or just use the one out of the Monsters and Treasures. Yeah, I think with 5th edition, typically hit points are much higher and armor classes are weirdly lower in some places, even to like the point of having like an armor class 8, which doesn't exist in older versions of Dungeons and Dragons. So that's definitely something to look out for. The armor class 8 won't mess up your game. You're you know, your characters will just hit a lot more. Uh, but when when their hit points are four times as much as a similar monster would be in Castles of Crusades, that's something you've got to watch out for. And I think if you're doing your due diligence as a castle keeper, you should be reading a module or an adventure beforehand. So you shouldn't be caught up by any surprises. So where Don't you judge me. <laughs> that doesn't work for you? No, I just don't always do it. I should. You're right. (laughs) But I'm not not the most prepared castle keeper. uh, So if we're telling the truth, then I'm not either. But you should. (laughs) You should be reading everything. Still, if you can do it, if you can do it on the fly without preparing, and it's not that hard, that is a testament to how easy it is to convert. So there you go. I think one thing I get a little bit caught up on is if a creature has a special attack or something, or if, say, a trap has a, a, a certain attribute that wouldn't normally be in CNC, that one really comes down to a judgment call. You know, if, if it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, something crazy, you kind of, I don't know, you just got to try to make it a, a like for like for Castles and Crusades. Sometimes it might help to just step outside of the written material and just go, okay, if I were totally winging this, what would I do? And then you may arrive at the correct answer that the written material was blocking you from. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So let's talk a little bit about specific rules when converting from games to uh, Castles and Crusades. So uh, the first one that comes to mind is Ascending versus descending armor class uh earlier versions of dungeons and dragons had descending armor class armor class was better the lower it went uh and when converting that to castles and crusades it has an ascending armor class there's a couple of ways you can do it one you can just do like for like armor but uh the easier way to do it is you can just take what their armor class was and advanced Dungeons and Dragons and subtract it from 20. If they have a two armor class, you subtract two from 20, they have an 18 armor class. And then um, if they have a negative armor class, when you subtract a negative, it actually adds a number. So you would have a negative two armor class would become a 22. Uh, The math remains the same. Uh, This is not the case for classic Dungeons and Dragons, uh, specifically OD&D basic expert, because those don't follow the same... Um, 10 through 0 armor class progression. They actually have 9, 7, 5, 3, and those are the only armor classes that armor provides. Um, you know, you you would probably uh, be fine um, if you are converting those and you need to do it real quick. You can just uh, still subtract from 20. They'll be a little bit off, but it, it won't break your game. I know for 3rd edition armor class, I will usually just use the armor class provided. If, if I'm not using the CNC mm-hmm. version of a creature, I will usually just use the one that they have. Um, one benefit that third edition kind of has is you can look into why the armor class is where it's at. 
because all the stats are listed. So creature might have like a high dexterity that gives them a large bonus to their armor class. And you can see that right in the stat block, whereas some other games don't have that. Mm-hmm. If it looks too high, again, it's kind of a judgment call, eyeball kind of thing. I might lower it. Um, but usually I just go with what they have. Yeah, the challenge level dynamic that CNC has um, makes it super duper easy to convert, you know, just D20 in general. I guess the only thing that you would really have to worry about would be if there's a monster or whatever, you know, like Jesse was saying, it has special abilities that are just, you know, that particular system has it, but CNC does not, but you still want to keep the special ability if you're bringing it over. Um, and generally, you, you can pretty much do that fairly easily um, because the two systems are that are that good with each other. I think another thing, and this was one of my big uh, stumbling blocks when I uh, came to Castle and Crusades, is Castle and Crusades does not have a skill system. And the role-playing games that I had played before Castle and Crusades had skill systems. And uh, for some reason, that uh, even though now I, I really hate uh, skill systems in class-based ah. games, <laughs> uh, when I first came to... Um, Casting your says it was a real big stumbling block for me and it's it's really just it's it's actually still there and what you can kind of uh see in in casting crusades is the the prime attributes kind of function as its skill system uh without actually being a skill system you kind of put your skill points into your attributes mm-hmm. um which is how skill systems really function throughout uh, the game's history is no. it's still based usually on an attribute role yeah i do think that Um, sometimes people coming in from other games want to make their players roll for everything. And you really don't need to do that in CNC, um, which I think can be kind of a a stumbling block in some ways. It's like, well, should I roll for this? It's like, no, it's not that hard, you know, or... (laughs) Yeah, only when there's a significant chance of failure. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I think... I really think having that skill list in front of you makes you want to roll dice a lot more than you need to because those skills each have their individual ways that they interact with the game. And so when you remove that skill system from the game, you end up rolling dice less and just communicate about what's going well, on. In the game. And it's been my experience that actually having skill lists will funny enough limit players because they'll mm-hmm. have this subconscious. Well, it's, I don't have the skill, so I can't try it. Yeah. I didn't take riding, so I can't get on a horse. What does it mean you can't ride a horse? It just means you're <laughs> maybe not as good as the person who took riding. Right. <laughs> and whereas if it's, you know, just attribute based like CNC, people I've discovered players tend to be more willing to try to do stuff. So when converting from a skill based RPG to Castle Crusades, you would just find the stat that correlates most closely with the skill that you need or are used to. And you would use that stat by itself and you would roll it and then add any modifiers, including level, uh, if applicable to that situation. Um, 
it, it's it's really it was a non-issue, but because it's a it was a stumbling block for me. I I know a lot of people who are used to having skills and rolling perception mm-hmm. checks or rolling, uh, you know, like Liz said, too often. Uh, you know, I, I think I think I see that I run five E every once in a while for uh the 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 homeschool kids uh, that I game with, and um, when I run five E, I see a lot of just they want to roll those dice because they have that list of skills. They want to look in the corner and if they look in the corner, they have to roll that D20. (laughs) It's just a corner. I mean, it's just a corner of a room. Like you look, you can see stuff, but how well do I perceive it? Well, I mean, it's just a corner of a room. There's a book there. I'm not going to (laughs) like, you don't see the book because you rolled low on a D20. And by the same token, um, our group that gets together to play Victorious, um, a couple of times we had someone in our group um, act as the GM because he wanted to test out an adventure that he had put together. And so we were his play testers. And he came from that mindset of rolling for everything. And he had us rolling for everything when with the Siege Engine, you know, rule set you don't you don't have to but that's how he was used to doing it and so we were rolling all over the place for stuff that you know you really shouldn't have to um so and to be fair I, I think it, there were gms i ran into in the 80s like that you know it's not exclusively a, a later game problem you know you run into who yeah, I, I, roll, I, I for this, roll for this, roll for this, roll for this. You know, <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm I'm hyper resistant to the idea that there was this homogenous old school way to play games <laughs> uh, that that people seem to kind of cling to. Like oh. back in the day, it was all like this, and I'm like, it was probably actually more varied. It was all like because... this at your table, dude. But yeah, right. Well, remember the, you know, alewives, roll to see if I'm getting, getting drunk. drunk. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and he obviously yes, just threw some dice to make him think he rolled something. <laughs> you know, yeah, you are. Getting back to skills, I think uh, what can be handy for somebody like that that's coming into CNC is when they're looking at their stat blocks from other games, whether for it's an NPC or a monster or something like that. In CNC, you have to determine if they have what their primary attribute is. Is it physical or is it mental? Mm -hmm. So looking at that list of skills can help you make that determination. You know, if they have skills that are all physical based, you know that that NPC or monster saves physical as as a prime attribute is physical. True. You know, just saying prime or not prime says it a lot shorter. Right. Right. But it it can definitely, (laughs) that stat stat block can be a guide for newcomers to the game yeah yeah it's one of those things that uh when you when you're converting over you can kind of become addicted to those knobs and levers and and you think oh i have all of these ways to make my character interesting and you adjust all these knob and levers and you and you come over to a game like uh castle and crusades and you're like all my buttons are gone (laughs) i was pressing all these buttons before and they were all so great but you know i mean what character when you think back to all the characters you played in every role-playing game where they had skills or not or button levers or not, you'd never think back and go, oh, that character was so great. They had a plus two climb 
Oh, man, that plus two climb is why I remember that character. No, you don't care. You know, if they have a a primary strength attribute, they're going to be good at climbing and swimming and all of that physical stuff that um, requires a good strength to use. In fact, I usually think about the ones who had really awful skin and bombed horribly. You know, that's that's what you think back to. She had a dex of seven, but she managed to survive to make it to eighth level. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As a thief? Yeah! (laughs) Fortunately, her con was an 18, which was great for all of the poison traps. (laughs) I heard her also. I heard her. It just shows shows her wave. Oh, I think maybe I'm I'm the fool. Can can you hear me now? (laughs) How about now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Even after, I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I had a time skip. Ah! I got nice in time. Sorry. Was that reaching back in time to ask me about <laughs> the magazine? See, you've created a tremor in the in mm. the time stream. Oh man, I hate it when that happens again. Yeah. Not tremors. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I liked the first one. I, I think they weren't yeah. they weren't quite as good after that, but Yeah, that's why that's why I said that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get pretty rough. Uh, <laughs> I would love to convert tremors to CNC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keeping us on topic. <laughs> awesome. A belay with a purple worm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you already done did it. <laughs> so here's one for you guys. When you're converting and you come across something that's unique or or maybe wonky, like something weird in Keep on the Borderlands, where a creature on a roll of one to six does this, chops your head off or whatever. How do you guys deal with that? I just roll with it. If it says it in the adventure that the Minotaur chops your head off on a roll of one to six, then he's going to chop your head off on a roll of one to six. Yeah, I would, I would go with that too. Cause it's one of those things. The players won't really know much one way or the other. So why not? Yeah. I think, anything. I, I think it's something that when you have something like that, that's so game altering. I think the only caveat is I would want to, kind of make it apparent ahead of time. I wouldn't want to surprise someone fighting a Minotaur. I'm like, well, this particular Minotaur chops your head off one-sixth of the time because it just feels really disingenuous. It feels like you're really like, like you're gotcha DMing and you're just, I don't know. That is not a true example. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very extreme example. And and besides, if that Minotaur had made a really awesome critical hit it could very very well have the same effect uh i think i would want to you know if you have the opportunity to be you know flipping through the adventure beforehand if you come across something like that you know try to read ahead and see is there a reason for this particular monster or npc to have been given this unusual ability and, you know, that may be that there's something within the adventure itself that, you know, becomes apparent later. Oh, that's why they did that with this <laughs> thing. Um, but, yeah, if it doesn't look as though that there's any particular reason for it and it was like, this sounds cool. I'm going to have my thing do this. It's like, then, you know, 
if you don't think it's going to to go well with your table, then I would say by all means, just eh, you know. Yeah. Which frankly is an issue you can run into with modules for the same. Oh gosh, yes. That's that's fair. <laughs> the only thing you'd have to do in that situation is just say it's the maze of the Vorpal Minotaur, and that should that should ring <laughs> <laughs> alarm bells in anybody's uh, fantasy RPG brain. Um, but uh, uh, I mean. They should at least go ask about that. What does that mean, Vorpal Minotaur? <laughs> you have to pick up the Minotaur and mm-hmm. hit someone on a nat 20. <laughs> His name is Snicker Of course, you got to lift that Minotaur. So. <laughs> yeah. Snack the Vorpal Minotaur. <laughs> All right, do you want to um, have us convert a couple of specific things? Well, Justin? I have a ton of books here. We could do a third edition encounter. We could do a first edition in monster or encounter. I have Gamma World right here. We could do that. Sure. Uh, let's do an ogre from 5th edition. So ogres in 5th edition have 59 hit points. Um, uh, this is uh, the average of 7d10 plus 21, which is a lot in old school C&C terms. Um, their armor class is only 11, though. So they're actually easier to hit than a um a a, a uh, castles and crusades ogre would be okay so in comparison an ogre uh has i i sorry i'm learning my alphabet still i apologize an ogre has uh 48 hit points in castles and crusades but an armor class of 16 and this is a design shift from 5th edition and earlier fantasy role-playing games. 5th edition, in general, has lower armor classes, higher hit points, and higher damage output. uh, Because 5th edition expects you to hit and damage a lot and eventually take the monster down. Where um, old-school RPGs, your armor class is kind of what was keeping you alive as much as anything else. Um, So, for example, when an ogre hits you in Castles and Crusades, he's going to do 1d10 damage. And when an ogre hits you in 5th edition uh, Dungeon Dragons, they're going to do 2d8 plus 4 damage. Um, So you're kind of looking at these uh, numbers and kind of wanting to half them um, for a lot of stuff. You know, uh, 1d8 plus 2 would be pretty close to the 1d10 you see in Castle and Crusades. Um, and and the, the hit point, um, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, extreme, but, um, you know, uh, the maximum hit point Ogre's going to have in Castles and Crusades is uh, 32. And it, it has 59 um, base hit points so in double. 5e. Yeah, so again, about double. I mean, it's it's not not exact, but I mean, that's the maximum uh, compared to the halfway point. Now, 5e presents you with hit points that all take the average die. Um, but uh, you could roll all 7d10 plus 21 and end up with an ogre with uh, uh, 91 hit points. Um uh, you know, you would want to lower the hit points. Now, at that point, though, you have to ask the question, do you raise the armor class? Um, you wouldn't have to. You could just make it an easy-to-hit creature because that way you kind of give yourself a little bit of wiggle room if some of those adjustments weren't quite perfect. You know, it ends up still having quite a bit more hit points or it ends up still having quite a bit more damage output. Having that lower armor class could be your saving grace. Yeah, I think those are good things to 
to keep in mind if you're having to convert something, like Jesse mentioned earlier in the show, something that does not have a CNC equivalent already. Um, but -hmm. if there is a CNC equivalent, you know, do yourself a favor and just take that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That makes the ogre a bit of a bad example. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it is a good example for what you could, what you probably should be doing if you've come Mm -hmm. across something that is unique to 5e. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it's some module you found online that you want to run for CNC and they've made up their own monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all statted for fifth edition. So yeah, I think halving stuff is is about where you want to land, um, and you'll be pretty much okay. Uh, you know, raising armor classes again that's that's going to be more of a fill thing. There's not a real good definite system. I think maybe it's about five lower across the board, um, and I think maybe that has something to do with how easy it is to get advantage, which is around a plus five but i i'm not sure i'm not sure why i think they just want you to hit more often so you feel like you can contribute to the fight in fifth edition yeah because they 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 picture the fight because they picture the fight as as swings and and blows and and i think i think you kind of well this is getting off people are hitting more they're having more fun right it's the opposite to me like i i would get more excited playing a game where i don't hit every round well, it's just it's just more math for math's sake. It's just so my math helped. You know, that's all it is. That's uh, that's yeah. it doesn't actually change any of the outcomes. You just feel like your math helped the fight a little bit. Yeah, just add plus twelve. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, add plus twelve. Words to live by. <laughs> um okay, so is there another uh, system we want to look at. Well, we did something um, new, so let's do something old. I'll tell you what, I'm going to look up, and we can do another one after this. It just should not take long, but let's just look up an OD and D ogre and compare it to Castles and Crusades, and uh, we can uh, kind of get an idea of the opposite end of the spectrum, the 1974 uh, box set, and look up an ogre in that. And I have that in front of me uh, soon. (laughs) Sorry, it's not alphabetical. I forgot. No, Uh, (laughs) it is not. Um, Bitter much, Liz? (laughs) I've said it before and I will say it again. OD&D lists of monsters and stuff. I am firmly convinced that the order was chosen so that every single page would have a complete listing ending at the bottom and it wouldn't go over to the second page. They just cutting and paste. Yeah. They just cut and paste to see, okay, which monsters will all fit completely on a single page and then go to the next page, which ones will then fit completely on that one, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think it's actually by monster type. I think they have, so they got uh, goblins, orcs, ogres, trolls, giants, right? And that's kind of your one monster type. And then they got all the undead next. And then they got uh, all of these turn you into stone, cockatrice, basculus, medusa, gorgon. And then they have these mythical animals, manticore, hydra, chimera, uh, chimera. I don't know why I said chimera. Uh, <laughs> so that's, I, I, that's, I just noticed that. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm no, not, no. I, I, 
<laughs> I just noticed that they're just by monster type, even like ochre jelly, black pudding, green, green slime and gray ooze and yellow mold are together. That's weird. I've never <laughs> noticed that before, but it's just light horse, medium horse, heavy horse, craft horse. Title or something. I, I mean, alpha, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I, I do think, okay, anyway, we're getting off track. Uh, <laughs> Ogre in OD&D has an armor class of five. So you subtract five from 20, giving you an armor class of 15. Uh, the armor class in um, uh, Castle and Crusades is 16. Close enough. Not a big deal. And you're converting from basic D&D uh, or old school D&D. Um, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't lend you in too much trouble. Um, their hit dice are four plus one. Uh, Castle and Crusades does not have that thing where they have plus to hit dice. That was a weird thing in uh, old school versions of Dungeons and Dragons to prevent certain effects from happening to certain monsters. Uh, that's really the only uh, thing I noticed it, it representing is a four plus one uh, hit dice creature. A, a minimum. You can't have a plus a one hit point, you know, given monster if it's you know, mm-hmm. one plus one, then there That's are at least two. That's fair. Um, I mean, I'm not uh, saying that's why. It's just that's yeah. something that has occurred to me. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's pretty pretty similar. Um, as far as damage output, um, again, I'm dealing with OD&D organization, which is not great. Um, uh in OD&D, it's really weird. It's one die plus two, and that means a six-sided die because OD&D kind of operates mainly off of six-sided dice um, until you get to Greyhawk. Uh, so it does uh, three to eight points of damage, 1d10, not too much different there. Um, so it is it is definitely closer to old-school versions of the game than it is to the current version of the fantasy role-playing game. Uh, but I think converting from either is certainly possible. A little bit more math to do it from the current version. Do you want to try a three ogre? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we should get off the ogre trail. <laughs> I have a feeling the three e ogre is going to be almost exactly um, the same. What about like? I got an ogre slaying knife. <laughs> the not fact that this is not just swamped, swamped with with references to <laughs> dead elves. <laughs> <is amazing. laughs> Um, yeah, they're 48 plus eight hit die in three E and they have, um, a 16 armor class in three E, uh, and, uh, their damage output is one D eight plus seven. Wowza. Uh, interesting. No, that's a marrow. Apparently, uh, their damage output is why can't I find three E stat blocks are very cumbersome. Uh, it turns out. Uh, it has a 1d8. No, goodness gracious, 2d6 plus seven. So, yeah, quite a bit higher damage output. I wasn't expecting that. That's actually closer to the fifth edition 2d6 plus seven damage. So, at least nine points of damage. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh. Is there something really weird we could do, like Call of Cthulhu? Or, oh, I got something really weird. Okay, well, not, not super weird, but it's fun. So we talked a lot about monsters. Let's talk about treasure a little bit. Maybe you're a fan of genre mashing or something. Okay. So I'm going to read an item to you. It's from Gamma World. And then I'd like to know how you guys would 
translate this over into CNC. So we're going to go with the, just a regular old, does that sound fun? Does that sound fun at all? Sure. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm super oh. on board. doesn't sound like you're that on board. I'm, I said I was super on board. That's as <laughs> on board as I get. <laughs> I don't go to ultra on board. Okay, so say that your elf finds a stun ray. It's got a maximum range of 50 meters. It has an effective range of 25 meters. And it has a battery life of 10 shots. It needs a solar cell to power it. And this is the effect that it does. If this ray hits, the target would be stunned for 20 minutes, less one minute for each point of the victim's constitution. While stunned, only the victim's involuntary muscles function. So how would you guys translate that over to CNC? Well, I know if I was going to convert to Victorious, I would say that it was a constitution-based entrapment. <laughs> um, that doesn't really help with CNC in general, but... <laughs> um, constitution save or stunned for X number of rounds. You could definitely still use the 20 minus constitution. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the other stuff is, is just in... Um, uh, just prose, right? It's just telling you what happens in the narrative of this situation. So um, my advice would be to not try to codify those prose and just say, that's what happens. It, it's this many meters. It's this much time. You know, it, it, it's, just, it's just real world communication and you don't have to necessarily gamify it. If I was converting it, it'd be similar to what you guys said. If it hits... Carl, I wouldn't do the 20 minute thing, honestly. Um, I might do. Even, even with, with the, the minus, minus constitution? Well, that could be minutes. That's minutes, though. It's not rounds. Maybe I would. Maybe if I kept the constitution thing, I'd flip it over to rounds. Because that's a pretty big side effect. You know, mm. if you get if you get hit with that in any normal combat, you're out of the combat the whole time for sure. On the other mm -hmm. hand, there's some creatures that, you know, poison paralysis bite and your friends are carrying you for the next several minutes after that the fight's weird. over. <laughs> Using your body to wedge a door shut or something. Um, I would make it a constitution safe, also physical constitution safe um, when the target gets hit with it. And yeah. I would probably, obviously we're not going to have... Uh, solar cells so i would put a number of charges on it and then i would add a stipulation like you know this is high sorcery and you would need uh, a magic user to cast magic missiles into it or do something to recharge it that's how i would do it hmm. but i don't know how many times elves are going to find stun rays but you should be ready for that <laughs> <laughs> ever vigilant <laughs> Here in Lothlorien, we are ever vigilant towards stun rays. And Daleks. <laughs> I have so many books on my shelf that I don't use. So, I mean, one day, maybe you should just grab Gamma World and just roll with it. You never know. Mm -hmm. Well, when you do planar travel and everything, it's yeah. damn useful. Uh, okay, I'm loading up. Bear with me, because I don't even know what this is. And I, I'm not super familiar with this system. Uh, but I have a Call of Cthulhu spellbook here. Yeah, I was thinking of a Call of Cthulhu spell since their uh, <laughs> magic is uh, 
a lot more interesting <laughs> than classic fantasy music magic can be. Okay, so uh, this spell is from Call of Cthulhu, and it's called Ariadne's Twine. I might know. I may be saying that wrong. Uh, Ariadne's Ariadne's. I'm gonna say Ariadne's. I thought you got it. Ariadne. Uh, Ariadne's twine. Yeah. Um, it costs five magic points. Uh, and it, it also costs 1d4 sanity points. Uh, it takes one day to cast. Uh, when cast on a target, who may also be the caster, their mind is filled with a three-dimensional map of any maze or labyrinth that they physically enter for the duration of the spell. Normally from sunrise to midnight following the 24-hour casting period. As long as this spill is active, the target cannot get lost. The sudden flashes of inspiration and the experience of realizing the maze in the mind's eye causes the loss of 1d4 sanity points. An unwilling target may counter the spell with an opposed uh, power roll. I assume POW is power. Yes. Not a prisoner of war roll, which wouldn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. Um, no. Where the wizard casts the spell on him or herself, 1d4 sanity points are lost for the casting, and another 1d4 points when the maze imposes itself on their mind. On subsequent castings, the wizard is better prepared, only suffering the sanity loss from the casting of the spell. Uh, there's some alternative names, which is such a cool idea. Oh, man. Uh, alternative names are Unlock Bewilderment, Unraveling the Convolutions of Stone. Uh, this is a super appropriate fantasy RPG spell. Like, I was kind of expecting to get something way off the wall, but this is this is super useful and appropriate for fantasy role-playing games. Well, for starters, I would make that a fifth level spell. Thus the five power points. Yeah, I was wondering how how directly that correlated because uh fifth level, I mean, because it's essentially I mean, you're 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 getting a map of the of the location. I I I don't I don't know that the power points exactly trans and I again I do not play they don't exactly. Yeah, it does. I mean, it just in terms of Dungeons and Dragons, which I guess, you know, the big difference is Dungeons and Dragons is really focused on combat for a lot of its power metrics. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't really seem like a fifth level spell. I would say maybe even just a second or third level spell. Um, just a, but the, again, that that comes with. I think what level spell it is will depend a little bit on how much of these detrimental effects do you keep. There aren't sanity points in in castles and crusades, so how how do you uh, handle that? And if you keep that effect, would that lower its spell level? Because now it comes at this additional cost that isn't present in the system. I'd probably use wisdom as an equivalent for sanity mm -hmm. points, and if something goes wrong the caster is going to suffer a you know, loss of wisdom for a while, um, perhaps even permanently, depending on you know, the way the spell goes. If, it's, if there's a permanent loss of sanity, you might have a permanent loss of your wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, I would say probably have, you know, in this instance, the caster does a wisdom save, um, perhaps an intelligence save, um, if you're going to say whether or not this is a spell that is usable by either a magic user or a cleric. Um, if it's a magic user, you're doing the int. If you're a cleric, you're doing wisdom. Um, and the opponent's save would be an opposed attribute role of the same. Um, 
and they may not have a prime in that attribute, which would be, which would make it harder for them to oppose, perhaps. And the sanity loss, I would probably reduce to just one point. Hmm. Temporary attribute damage, maybe permanent. Maybe then make have them make a saving throw, and if they fail the save, it's a permanent loss. Yeah. Well, how many how many sanity points do you get in Call of Cthulhu? Uh, it's a percentile. Oh, okay. So yeah, you would definitely need to based on like a couple of your attributes by five. And I think it's your power actually power times five, which gives you your, your sanity points. And that of course is reduced by your Cthulhu knowledge score. So whenever you have a hundred percent knowledge of the Cthulhu mythos, you're completely insane. How common is spellcasting? In Call of Cthulhu. Mm, oh well, if you're messing with cults, <laughs> it can't be. But as as a PC, PC as a rule, you don't want to be a good spellcaster in Call of Cthulhu. No, huh. it, it's very Howard Lovecraft, you know, <laughs> Howard type. The idea of people who delve into magic are twisted and evil. <laughs> so it's. I'm not saying PCs can't do magic, but they got to be very careful since everything costs a little sanity sooner or later. So a lot of that would be converting from opponents spellcasting onto PCs? Probably, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason they do make the spells so Mm -hmm. awful. They don't want... They want players to be investigators and not spellcasters. So then that question of conversion comes. Do you convert just the rules or do you convert the genre? Right, because that's genre is not really present in in the the game of Castle and Crusades of that pro, that that genre of magic being this corrupting force. Um, now no. you could, well, it's a whole different, a tra- you know, treatment right. of magic. So um, if you approach it just as a conversion of the rules, then you're kind of fitting in a new j- genre, some new tropes into your Castle and Crusades game, which could be fantastic fun. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, you know, you may want to take a step back and go, am I changing these tropes to the game's detriment? Because now it's a game where magic becomes more dangerous. And am I then um, creating problems for my spellcasters? Yeah, most magic items in Call of Cthulhu, you probably wouldn't want to convert <laughs> to CNC unless you're really looking to screw up your character's lives. Yes. Which there's nothing wrong with that, mind you. <laughs> But just as long as you're aware, (laughs) you're not just going to get a plus three sword. Oh, no. No, no. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for joining us for episode 13. Episode 14 will be on its way. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, you can call and leave a message. We'll play it on the air. 567-406-3386. That just goes to a voicemail box. You can also email us at thecrusaderpodcast at gmail.com, and you can check us out on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Bye. Free arc. Some games may change, but the Castle's Crusade Siege Engine remains the same.
that, I mean, that was a stumbling block for me when I first came to Chasm Crusades is the lack of skills because I would had became used to skill based RPGs. So do you mean like skills for opponents? No, I mean like a skill list, like you have a perception skill or a non-weapon proficiency. Do so you mean converting a class mm-hmm. or yeah, do you want to go into that? Yes, I think so. <laughs> well. Oh, you found the sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> the dumb chain. <laughs> <laughs>